prepare to hear the scripture reading. What you're going to hear out of the letter of James are almost prophetic words about what we are to be and what we are not to be. And so hear carefully those prophetic words. There's no other word for it. They're, they're, they're sharp and they're pointed. And then out of the gospel reading, you're going to hear this debate among two of the disciples and Jesus' response. And so listen to that response. If now we hear the scripture reading. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Holy wisdom, holy word. As we are able, can we stand for the reading of the gospel? They went on there from they went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. One of the great theologians of our time talked at length about the fact that as Christians today, what we have to do is hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and figure out how to bring these two together. Somehow to be a voice that is able to do that because there is no such voice almost anywhere else. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. But let's go back. Now I just want to talk briefly about the last couple weeks. First of all, last week. Just incredible admiration 
for those three women who sat up here on those tall chairs and shared a bit of their stories. They talked about all kinds of views, even talked to some extent about individual struggles, whether it was with faith or with history or even with a squirrel. <laughs> but how rich was the diversity and how rich was the sharing as these three, as Dorothy and Jenny and Lee, brought pieces of their story. And I'm so appreciative. Uh, I know the two of you are here this morning. Thank you so much for what you did last week. All in the midst of one service at 10 o'clock. A time when no one has chosen that that needs to be the time for worship. In a setting where everyone in the room probably was uncomfortable with something having to do with the service. Whether the music was too loud, or there was too much praise music, or not enough, or that the sermon was not quite what we were hoping for, or whatever it was. Had nothing to do with the three women. By sermon, I mean whatever message the pastor decided he needed to bring that morning. And yet, there we were, all together, sitting there all together, sharing this experience, not so much because of our differences, sharing our experiences because we just wanted to be together, even though we may not have agreed about time or focus or style or anything other than being in worship. That on the heels of an extended period for two weeks of building in the Together We Build Habitat for Humanity program. Sitting there, many of us, working alongside with folks that we probably vehemently disagree on occasion about theology or faith. There in that building site, 40 people a day, sometimes 50 people a day, coming together, whether they were Methodist or Presbyterian, whether they Jewish or Muslim, whether they agnostic or even atheist, disagreeing in theology, but agreeing in this singular focus that what we needed to do was provide affordable housing for those that otherwise would not have access to it. It was an amazing event. Then on the heels of that, I, got, I had the privilege last week of on Tuesday going and sitting with Dirk at the Seattle University Seminary and hearing about the internship program. And again, Seattle University Seminary, one of the most liberal seminaries on the West Coast. But then on Thursday, I had the privilege of going to Seattle Pacific University Seminary and sitting with Carrie to listen and hear about their internship program, one of the more conservative seminaries on the West Coast. And yet not once did either one of these groups in any way disparage the other, even though they knew that I was representing both in those meetings that day. But then came what I talked about before last Wednesday, Looking at the newspaper, I read the paper early every morning, and, and there on the front page was that little tiny picture of Jesus. And it was even one of my favorite pictures of Jesus. And then the headline, Was Jesus Married? Read the article and was astounded by the article, but what astounded me even more was those next two days of talk shows. And I tried to hit as many of them as I could Every single one of them in some way dealt with that question of whether Jesus was married 
And way too many of them dealt with it in a way that was so inappropriate as to make me wonder, where in the world are we today? That we can't even have a discussion around something like that. And then finally, all on the heels of the world news about this video that had been produced by someone in England that depicted Muhammad in ways that I will not describe this morning. You talk about disparaging. And what is launched out of that is, is violence upon violence upon violence throughout the globe. And I kept wondering, where do we stand on any one of those issues? I keep looking at the church, and I don't mean Aldersgate United Methodist Church, I mean the church capital C, and continue to see this this blistering argument that comes on either side of all kinds of issues, whether it's about theology or scripture or any of those things. And I look that, look at that alongside, as, as we've talked for the last two weeks, of the, the political debates that are going on right now between parties and candidates, no matter where they are and at what level, and the way that we are treating each other in the midst of that. And I look at our views of other countries and other religions and wonder, might there be a better way? So where do you stand on any of that? I believe that Jesus has a different gospel narrative. But to get there, I want to go through two routes, polar opposite routes. Because the world, when the world looks at Christian, you know what they look at? Either this or this. And you'll hear about these pointedly in just a second. But again, might there be something else? Might there be a different alternative? But to get there, I want to introduce you to two very separate theologies or stances. Over here, as I said, are, let's get the picture up, Jim, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. Right? Two Christian pastors. Let me say that again. Two Christian pastors who believe in God, who preach a, a narrative based absolutely on the Bible. Their defining scriptures would be something like the Ten Commandments on the one hand, and anything having to do like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall have Shall, shall not perish but have eternal life. Meaning that if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. Here's where they stand. Everything I'm saying, everything I'm reading are direct quotes. And on both of these sides, I had to be pretty careful about filtering. My question to you as I read these two, where do you stand? We're going to take a minute after each one for you to just think about that. So first, Reverend Falwell and Robertson. Roberts. They have stated either in print or in media or in sermons, I am a Christian. That means that Jesus is the way, the only way, the perfect way, the one and only singular way to heaven. Hell is waiting for those who disagree. And hell is a real place where real people spend real eternity. 
You need to know that I believe that if you're not a born-again Christian, you're a failure as a human being. Why? Because God is in charge. He, God, created Christianity. Christianity is God's choice. I know because the Bible is God's truth and that's what it says. The Bible does not make mistakes. It is accurate and without error. It is absolutely true. It contains everything we need to know to live our lives. It is written by God. We're the ones who get it wrong, and we get it wrong because there are other forces, evil forces, satanic forces, out there seeking to control us. I mean, you say we're supposed to be nice to Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Methodists, and this, that, and the other thing. I say nonsense. I don't have to be nice to the spirit of the Antichrist. I can love people who hold false opinions, but I don't have to be nice to them. And it's one thing to give people freedom and something else to deny the rights of Christians to assert their faith in order to keep Hindus or any other non-Christian group from feeling upset. And by the way, the idea that religion and politics don't mix is invented by the devil to keep Christians from running their own country. And just so you know, I have zero tolerance for sanctimonious morons who try to scare people with things like global warming. God continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of America to give us probably what we deserve. At the same time, I know that if I die today, and I will be spending eternity with the one who died for me, who bled for me, who sacrificed his life for me. So do you know where you will spend eternity? Are you Christian? Where do you stand in response to what I just read? Take a moment and just think. Now, on the other side, are people like Spong and Wallace and Crossan. They define themselves alongside of something like what we find in Matthew 25. Inasmuch as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. Here's what they have said in print or media or in sermons. The religious left and the religious right are not religious categories. They are more often than not value categories. A major function of fundamentalist religion is to bolster deeply insecure and fearful people. This is done by justifying a way of life with all of its defining prejudices. It therefore provides an outlet and a focus for one's anger, albeit an inappropriate and unhealthy focus. At the root of it is also the authority of an inerrant Bible, a Bible that can be readily quoted to buttress this point of view in which that becomes an essential ingredient to such a life. For me, they say, I cannot say yes 
to legends that have been clearly and so fancifully created. I have to be able to move beyond this whole idea of inerrancy. I do not believe in anything having to do with angelic messengers, empty tombs, resuscitated bodies, and ghost-like apparitions. If the resurrection of Jesus cannot be believed except by assenting to a fantastic description included in the Gospels, in the Gospel myths, then Christianity is surely doomed. The kingdom of God is not about something beyond this life. It is not about heaven, something for which I hold no belief. And the same can be said of hell. Hell is simply a scare tactic for the weak-minded. The kingdom of heaven is about transforming this world into holiness, fairness, justice, and peace, not the evacuation of this world into some heaven above. The true litmus test of religion has to do with its ideals, its doctrines, its experiences, and its practices if they lead directly to practical compassion. That is the only true test, the one way. And if that can be achieved through Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad or anyone else, then so be it. That is the one true religion. And any scripture that teaches that, those adherents are the one true believers. Oh, and regarding politics and religion, I do believe in the separation of church and state, absolutely, but I don't believe in the separation of public life from our values, those basic values, or for many of us, those religious values. We cannot, nor must not, be the masters of the state, nor are we the servant of the state. We are, however, the conscience of the state. That is where politics and religion come together. That is our role, and we must take it on. We are the prophetic interrogators with questions like, why are so many people hungry, abused, poor, and the questions go on. But that is our role, clear and simple. Clear and simple. So are you Christian? Where do you stand? Take a moment to respond in your own mind to what you just heard from those three. Friends, we live in a time there is a need for response. We live in a time where there is a need for appropriate response. And I would, I would guess that almost everyone in this sanctuary would find themselves somewhere between these two. And many, potentially more on this side than this side. But that may not be the case. But we live in a time where there seems to be a scarcity of people in churches, particularly mainline churches, of taking stands. So I'm serious about the question, where do you stand? Until we come to a place in our lives where we can take stands, we have very little to talk about. So I want to encourage you this year, particularly this year, to put on some of the stands to wear them well, to talk about them, explore them, share them, and be open to others with whom you may disagree. The danger is when we take stands, we believe that somehow we are creating an image of ourselves somehow being right and the other being wrong. Or somehow being elevated, the other 
somehow lower. That's where we get into trouble. But what's so interesting to me is I look at this time, that it is not so dissimilar to the time of Jesus. The time when the zealots thought everyone else were weaklings and should just be set aside or destroyed. But when the Pharisees knew without question that they had the right answer, absolutely they had the right answer and everyone else was wrong. Or the Sadducees who wore power like it was candy. I mean, it was just incredible how they abused that power. And yet then, what we have set into the midst of that, as you set that alongside of the kingdom of Rome, is Jesus. I wonder what Jesus would say to either one of these. I wonder what Jesus is saying to us. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we hear him quoting over and over and over again, you have heard it said. And then he quotes a piece of the old law. And then responds to that, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He consistently broke the law by touching lepers, not so that they could somehow become beings in the heavenly realm because the need was there. Jesus never backed off from taking a stand with anyone. And if we get caught up in the fact that our only role is to be with the poor, then we have missed that piece of the gospel narrative as well. What you're going to hear now for, for the next two and a half to three months is that piece, potentially, of a new understanding in an emerging understanding, potentially, of the gospel narrative. That somewhere between these two is where we find ourselves. But I'm asking you today, where do you stand in response to this? Or to this? Where do you respond in response to each other? And how are you communicating that to anyone else? This is a time where we need that voice of acceptance. This is a time where we need to be that church that isn't identified by everyone else in the world as either being a Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell or even being of John Shelby Spawn or John Dominic Crossan. What is it that we are as a church? What is the voice that is needed in this area? And might we engage that as we engage each other in ways that are open and accepting and forgiving? Might we be that voice? Because that's where the need is. Let me close with this thought. Two weeks from now, you're going to hear my vision for the church. My vision for all of you. Come out of, I said, what will be 14 months of study and prayer and discussion. Coming out of that with you and with the Vision Task Force. But let me give you a piece of it today. I'll close with this thought. My vision for this church is to continually seek to create a place that is an accepting Christian community. 
where all are welcome, welcome to search and to find, to hope and to help, to serve and heal, to laugh and even to love. All of this centered on relationships and all of us continually engaging three questions. Am I engaged deeply in a worship experience, a study, or a class that helps me grow in my own faith? Am I involved in a small group that connects me with others in trusted, meaningful, and life-giving relationships? And am I offering myself to God and others in some kind of service involving those in need, whatever that need may look like? Maybe the defining scripture, and I believe this is, could be the rewording of 1 Corinthians 13. Might it read this for us? As those seeking to be followers of Christ, we are seeking for a more excellent way, creating a place that is patient and kind, being people who are not boastful or even proud, and nothing we do will be done that will create envy but be con- or be considered arrogant, and certainly is not rude to each other, anyone who walks through these doors, or anyone in the community or world. What we do is not self-seeking, We are not easily angered, but live our lives with passion. None of us keeps any record of wrongs. We do not delight in evil, but rejoice when anyone finds truth, no matter where it may be on that spectrum. For we always protect, we always trust, we always hope, and we always persevere. Aldersgate knows that it will never fail because love. Particularly, this kind of love never fails. And because we love God, and we know that God never fails. So these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, the one we seek and see most readily, is love. That's the church of Jesus Christ and more is ahead as we explore this together.